guys go ahead and be seated. Normally at this time we would dismiss the kids to City of Lights Church, but uh, we've got several families missing and uh, a volunteer went missing and there's only two kids that, uh, that are here, so they're going to stick around um, in-house with us, which is great because, uh, hey Silas, what grade are you in, buddy? Fourth grade. Okay, so at the end of the sermon you tell me if it made sense. Got it? Fourth grade. So when I was a year younger than you, which means I was in third grade, right? <laughs> when I was in third grade, my teacher made me a hall monitor. Yeah. Well, how'd that work out? Let me tell you how that worked out. See, well, apparently we were doing some sort of experiment with like peer accountability. And it tied into this like, uh, like courts and judges and juries and crime and punishment type of series in third grade. I mean, that's fantastic. So in third grade, I was a hall monitor and I was charged with just, you know, enforcing a couple of small rules that took place in the hallway. Simple rules. Chrissy's laughing. <laughs> She's in high school and they don't even do hall monitors in high school. You know, so small, you know, don't yell, Right. Don't run. Things like that. Don't push other people. Things like that. Okay. The deal was I was supposed to, if I saw somebody breaking a rule, give them a warning. Right? And the next time I see them breaking that same rule, I would write them a ticket. Third grader. There's a lot of power for a third grader. All right. So um, if they got a ticket, then what, what happened was they would come to, uh, well, it was a trial of sorts. And again, third grade, this is impressive. A jury, uh, a jury made up of their peers with a defendant and a prosecutor of their peers. And of course, the teacher oversaw it. And, and, and so that is what would happen. And if the, their, their ticket got found guilty, then they had some sort of punishment. You know, loss of recess or detention or, or whatever it was. I don't remember fully. But I remember very specifically, I do remember this, being in the hall one, I don't know if it was a morning or what, but I looked up and I saw Derek running. <laughs> All names of people involved in this situation had been changed for the safety of them. <laughs> and honestly, because I can't remember the kid's name. So I saw Derek running. What you you got to understand this. Derek was the class clown. Derek was a troublemaker. I didn't like Derek. I saw Derek running, and immediately I wrote him a ticket. I see you in court. <laughs> His day in court came. And I thought for sure, slam dunk case. This one's going to be easy, right? I didn't like Derek. I figured nobody else liked Derek. <laughs> Was going swimmingly until the defense attorney, who happened to be another third grader, how he, he stood up and he says, James? Did you give Derek a warning first? Mm. I took a deep breath. I looked him in the eyes. I looked at Derek. I looked at the rest of the class. I looked at the jury. I looked at the teacher. And I said, yes, I did. How'd that work out? Well, I figured at the time it's going to work out great because, again, the teacher asked me to be a hall monitor. She trusts me. Everybody else trusts me. I'm going to polish my little halo, right? 
And this was Derek. Nobody liked him. He's the class troublemaker. And it's just, so it was his word against my word. And I didn't just say it once. Oh, I adamantly said that I gave him a ticket or I gave him a warning over and over and over. Well, it came time for the jury. And I was thinking again, yes, nobody likes Derek. They sided with him. Christy thinks this is, this was crushing to me. Christy, don't laugh at me. I mean, in essence, they were calling me a liar. I don't like, I don't like the feeling of lying. I didn't like being caught lying. I never admitted it to anyone. In fact, this is the first time I've ever admitted it. Apparently, I was so scarred by that, that as an adult, I have this thing for telling the truth. Like, I really, really want the truth to be told, both for me and from other people. I think one of the worst things somebody could call me is a liar. And I think one of the worst things I could call somebody else is a liar. I've told countless people trust is the, the hardest thing to build, but the easiest thing to break. All right, so when our kids were born, Abby and I, early on, we decided, let's come up with some family rules. And we ended up coming up with one rule. Honesty first, integrity always. We figured that's enough, because that pretty much covers everything. Honesty first, integrity always. Now, as I was looking at our, our passage for this week, that rule kept coming back to mind. And I'll tell you why in just a little bit. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this chance to gather together, to open your story, to hear from God, I hear from the guy who rested his his head on your chest. I pray, Lord, that we would hear just as loudly today as John's original listeners heard 1,900 years ago. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab a Bible if you've got one. If you don't, grab your app, or you can just listen. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. Last week, we started a sermon series titled, Not Your Normal, Not Your Typical Dear John Letters. Okay, this is, a, this is a, a study in the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and we, we um, said last week that they were written by the apostle John, right? one of Jesus' closest three disciples, Peter, James, and John, uh, the John who Jesus looked down from the cross and said, you take care of my mom. So this is who we believe wrote these letters. Now, last week we said that scholars believed that these letters were written to a church in Ephesus, to a group of believers by John. And John was trying to address a group of people who left that church and came up with some of their own beliefs, not too far away from Orthodox Christianity, but far enough away to where he felt like they needed to be addressed. All right? Now, we don't know exactly what those issues were, but in our text today, we we get a pretty good feel of what some of them could be. All right? I'm going to start in 1 John 1, verse 5, and I'm going to read through 2, 6. You can follow along with me. This is the message we heard from Jesus, and now declare to you, God is light. Did you catch the themes of the songs this morning? Light, okay? God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. 
But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves, and we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. This is chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Verse 3, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That is the word of the Lord this morning. Now, I could go a hundred different directions with this. My guess is some of you have heard close to a hundred different sermons on this text. But with each text that we preach in this series, my, my prayer, as it always is, is that God would show us today what he wants us to hear from this text. And maybe this was just a text specifically for me today. If that's the case, great. Grin and nod and laugh when appropriate. Um, and then we'll just keep going. Today's passage, to me, seemed like John is calling out the lies. He's calling out the liars of the people who had left. He's, he's calling out their lies. He's essentially playing the part of prosecutor, and he's saying, wait, wait, wait. Before we get going any further, we need honesty first. Honesty first. He doesn't say it like that, but essentially that's what he's saying. Because he starts with a truth in his argument. He starts with a truth. Verse 5, God is light, and there is no darkness in him. God is light, there is no darkness in him. In that day and age, most people would not have argued with that. It was assumed that God, that this higher beam, ha had goodness in him. And goodness was represented by light. So holiness, purity, perfection, it was all uh, represented by light. Darkness, on the other hand, represented sin, lostness, badness. And there are numerous places throughout our scriptures that, that show this, uh, this dichotomy between light and dark. We start in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says this, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. That, of course, is a prophetic passage that we're used to reading around Christmas time. When John, the author of the letters we're looking at, was writing his gospel, he was talking about Jesus and he called him the Word. Verse 4 and 5 of the first chapter in that, John says this, the Word gave life to everyone that was created, and his life brought... Anybody? light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness can never extinguish it. All right, now watch this, watch this progress. That was Jesus. When the apostle Paul, who wasn't Paul yet, he was Saul, met Jesus for the first time on the road to Damascus, Jesus told him this. He says, I'm going to rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. He says, yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, 
Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. All right, so Paul spends some time with Jesus and then starts writing letters. And he happened to write a letter to a church in Ephesus, which is where John wrote the letters that we're looking at too. So Paul says this to that same church in Ephesus, chapter 5, verse 1, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. We jump down to verse 6. Don't be fooled by those who are trying to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and what is true and what is right. Okay, so God is light. There's goodness, there's holiness, there's purity, there's righteousness in him. All light. There's no darkness in him. John starts off with that truth. And then he says this in verse 6, back in 1 John. So we are lying. If we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness, we are not practicing the truth. So we are lying. You like being called a liar? Legitimate question. Go ahead and shake your hand. You had one way or the other. I don't like it either. Third grade self still has issues with that. All right? I don't like it either, but John is saying, and and. Most people believe that this section right here is he's, he's addressing the people who left the church. John say, you, you people who left the church, you're lying if you say you have fellowship with God because there's still spiritual darkness in you. He doesn't say what that darkness is, but he calls it spiritual darkness. He says, don't lie. Honesty first. And then he doesn't pull any punches as he continues. Verse 8. If we claim we have no sin... We are fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. If we claim we have no sin, no sin, think, think present day, okay? Think current everyday events. Think what you're going to go do after church today, lunch, or what you did this morning. Think of that when we say no sin. That's what uh, John's addressing, the immediate right now. If we claim we have no sin, John says, you're only fooling yourselves. Now, can anybody relate to this? When I was younger, like uh, 40 and below... Um, if I got caught telling an untruth, was not uncommon, some of you with kids now might, might recognize this, to, to say something like, I was just kidding. I was just fooling. I was just fooling. John says, you guys are just fooling yourself. You're just kidding. You can't say that because it's not true. If you claim you have no sin, you're not just playing. You're fooling yourselves. Don't raise your hand. Who has no sin in their life today? Don't raise your hand. This would have been just as ludicrous a question to ask back then as it would have been today. Okay? John is saying if we claim we don't have sin in our lives, we are lying. We are fooling ourselves. Honesty first, he says. And he keeps going. Verse 10. If we claimed we have not sinned, We are calling God a liar and showing that this word, that his word, has no place in our hearts. If we claim we have not sinned, okay, if the first one was present day, not sinned is past. 
yesterday, the day before, the last five years, 10 years. Tommy, any time in the last 15, 20 years that you sinned? Me too, okay? But apparently, John is writing to a group of people who are claiming they don't have sin in their life, their everyday life, or their past life. Now, what upsets him so much about this is this negates the cross. It, tells, it says we don't need what Jesus did. The work that he has accomplished by you saying you don't have sin, you're saying we don't need him. And for John, who saw Jesus on the cross, I mean, that's like the ultimate offense to say you don't need that. So once again, he says you're lying, but more than that, you're calling God a liar. Ooh. My third grade self deserved to be called a liar, all right, because I lie. But God's not a liar. Amen? Amen. If you don't believe me, look at Scripture. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man, so he does not lie. Not a human, doesn't change his mind, so on and so forth. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. Next passage, Hebrew verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 18. When I get to the underlying part, read it with me. Read it really, really loud. Okay? So God has given both his promise and his oath. Those two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. God does not lie. John says if you're saying you have no sin in your past, you're calling God a liar, which goes against it goes against the core of who God is, and it goes against the fact that lying would fall under the darkness category, and God is light. He doesn't fit in that darkness category. I don't ever want to call God a liar. So John, very lovingly, very pastorally, shifts his gaze now from the people who had left the church to the people he shepherded, chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, my dear children, and that's a fatherly address right there. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. Ooh. I mean, John just got after the people who were saying they don't sin and they don't have sin in their lives. But he, he's not getting people, like letting people off the hook. He's saying, I'm writing this to you so you don't sin, my dear children. And then he says, but if... In the Greek, that word if could be translated as if. <laughs> or it's possible. Or when. When. <laughs> but if when you sin, John says, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of of the world. John was not putting up at all with the people who were saying they didn't need Jesus. So he turns to his people and he says, don't sin. But if, but when it happens, Jesus has you covered. I'm not giving you an out. I'm not giving you a free pass, but Jesus has you covered. We go right back into what he was talking about early on in verse 7. It says this, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the work of the cross. All sin, past sin, present sin, 
future sin, all sin, that work is done. But John says it's not a free pass. When we realize that we've sinned, we've got another step. We need to confess. That's verse 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Man, I love this. This is like, this is like Christianity 101. All right? and the majority of us, we, we know this, but it's great for us to be reminded of this. And who knows, maybe for somebody in here or online, this is the first they're hearing of this. And there, there's amazing, there, there's, there's freedom knowing that Christ has us covered. Okay? But when we realize that we've sinned, it says we need to come and confess because God is faithful and just to forgive us. At this conference that I went to in Florida, um, the speaker at one point did what every introvert hates. And I'm so sorry for all the times I do this to you guys. I really am. But the introvert in me just drove me nuts when he did it. He made us get up in the, in the small groups with people we didn't know. Again, forgive me. I've done it in the past. I'll do it again in the future. All right? <laughs> Serves me right. But I got into a group with somebody who was on staff at that large church. That church has like four different campuses. One of them is a recovery church. And this guy, man, he turned around, he started leading. In the group that we were in, there was two full-time pastors. There was a conference administrator. I mean, this is like people, this guy turned around, and he just started leading, right? And at one point, he says, you know what step 10 in the 12-step process is? All of us were like, uh-uh. So step 10 in the 12-step process is this. Continue to take personal inventory. When you realize you were wrong, admit it. We don't have to be in a 12-step program to live that. That should be our life, right? When we realize we've done something wrong, admit it. Continue to take personal inventory and admit it. Why? Because God is faithful to forgive us. He's faith- this, this is another attribute of God, God's faithfulness. We see this in the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, verse 33 and 34. This, again, is a, is a prophecy about Jesus. But this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I'm going to put my instructions deep within them, and I'm going to write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord. And then catch this part. And I will forgive their wickedness. And will never again remember their sins. Wow. That's a promise that God made. It says something very similar in, in the prophet Micah. I said, I'm going to trample your sins under my feet. So God is faithful to forgive them. He has promised to do that. And he's not going to break a promise because God doesn't lie. So he's faithful. But the verse also says he's just. Which means punishment has to be had. That's what justice is. A crime has been committed. A kid ran in a hall. He got written a ticket. God is just. Fill in the blank. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. Friends, we all sin. This is what John was saying. Again, Christianity 101. We all sin. When King Solomon was praying the dedication over the temple, in the middle of his prayer, he has like this little parenthesis. He says, if your people sin against you, and who hasn't sinned? He must have got that from his dad, because in, in Psalms 14, his dad, King David, said, but know 
All of us have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Of course, we're familiar with Romans 3.23, for just James has sinned and falls short of God's glory. I sinned in third grade when I lied to the class. No, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, justice needs to be had. We know the story. This is the beauty of this story. Justice was had. God demonstrated it. And it was prophesied in the prophet Isaiah, speaking again of Jesus. 50, verse 50, chapter 53, verses 3 to 6. He, being Jesus, was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our back on him. We looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our transgression, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of the world. Justice was had. Penalty was paid. The sin was not overlooked. So we go back to our passage today. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Jesus' blood cleanses us, all of us, from all our sin. Verse 9, it says, if we confess, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And then chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, it says, Christ is our atonement. Christ is our covering. Christ has forgiven our sins, not just our sins, the sins of the whole world. John stands up in this, this little court and he says, honesty first. God is light and we've covered a few things. Some of you are living in spiritual darkness claiming to be in the light. You're not. Some of you are claiming you have no sin in your life. You do. Some of you claiming you haven't sinned. <laughs> you have. You do and you will. So John says, tell the truth first. And again, some people in his day, some people in our day, they hear Jesus has you covered and they think, sweet, my boy JC has it covered, so I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, however I want. It's my free card to sin. John says, honesty first, but wait, integrity always. The rest of this short passage deals with integrity. He calls it obedience. All right, I used to ask my kids when they were little, what is integrity? And they had a great definition. It's doing what's right when nobody's looking. I mean, that's basically integrity, doing what's right when nobody's looking. John says this, we can be sure that we know him, we know God, if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar, a liar, and is not living in God's truth, all right? John says, not a free pass. Integrity always, verse 5 and 6. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know him. We are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's integrity. Those who say they know God, they live in God, should live their lives as Jesus did. That's honesty first, integrity always. Can we always live like that? Are we going to mess up? And if we do, what are we supposed to do? Confess, knowing that God is faithful and just and will forgive. We've got an advocate 
calling out to God to, to, to forgive, to wash away, to make sure he doesn't remember those. You remember what Jeremiah said at the end of his, at the end of his, uh, uh, his prophecy? And I will never again remember their sins. That's powerful. I think I, I, God, forgive me for third grade. Done. I don't have to feel bad about it anymore. I love that. The author of Psalms says, God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. It's done. And I love that. Not a license to sin, but confidence knowing that we can continue to learn, to, to, to live in Christ. Now, some of us, as, as free Methodists in our, in our tradition, we talk about sanctification, and we are, we are being sanctified. God's making us set, aside, set, a, set apart. He's making us holy, and, and yes, we're in the process of that. I pray that I sin less today than I did a year ago, than I did 10 years ago. But I want to tell the truth. If we're still breathing, there's a good chance we're going to sin again. God's not going to love us any less. God's taking care of that. Christ is taking care of that. But we still get to be in the process of growing towards him by recognizing what we've done and coming and saying, all right, Jesus, here's where I'm at. I need your blood that has already washed over me to wash over me again. I had another page or so written as to how to finish this message. But I, I realized this morning, I'm like, you know what? Spirit of God can convict way more than I can. And something I said, you know, maybe what I think is the main point may not be what God is pointing out to you. So what I want to do is I'm going to invite Tim back up. I'm going to have him strum just a little bit. We're going to put three questions on the board. All right? What is the Holy Spirit saying to me? What will I do in response? And who do I need to share this with? We're going to have Tim quietly play for just a minute or two, and I want to take us to this time of prayer. All right, it might be that today, whether in-house or online, you're hearing for the first time that you haven't gone too far, that Christ will still forgive you, that Christ has already forgiven you. That might be what you're hearing. Or it might be that you've been following Jesus 80 years, this is a refresher sermon for you, but you've got a little, uh, a little tension, a little unrest that you're realizing, I, I need to bring before God. Andy Stanley asks a great question. He says, is there a tension that deserves my attention? Perhaps that's what God's saying to you. It could be something completely different. So I'm going to leave these three questions up on, the, up on the screen. What is the Holy Spirit saying to me? What will I do in response? Who do I need to share this with? And as Tim quietly plays, I'll, I'll come back up. We'll leave a little bit of space for you to do this, and I'll come back up and, and pray. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrestle with this.
so good to know that Christ has done his work. That our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. God, I thank you for John's exhortation to don't sin. I thank you that you call us to continue to walk in the light. Lord, we don't want to be a group of people that has spiritual darkness in us that doesn't have stuff brought to the light. We want to be the people who, as hard as it is, bring it to the light. God, I wonder this morning if somebody maybe watching online or in-house answer that first question, what comes the Spirit saying to them is just that, that reminder that, or that, that first time hearing that, hey, we can bring our broken selves before God. And if the response that you are nudging them to do is to pray a prayer of forgiveness, to enter into that relationship with Jesus, it's not a hard prayer to make. Now, if, you're, if you're thinking through, how do I even pray? How do I, do I make a long list of all the things I've done? Um, you know, it could be as simple as this. Jesus, I am broken. I have sinned. I've done things that do not bring a smile to your face. You are a, a holy God, a faithful God that forgives, but you're also just. I thank you that Jesus has paid the price for my sins. Perhaps if that's the first time you've prayed that prayer, I would encourage you. Maybe your number three is to tell somebody. Somebody. Doesn't have to be me. Call your mom. Call your best friend. Lord God, we need to be reminded, even as people who uh, have been following Jesus, many of us for decades upon decades, we need to be reminded of the simple truths that we're hearing. I thank you that, that your disciple John wrote these down. And I thank you that we still have these truths. I pray that whatever was said today would stick and whatever is yet to be said in the coming weeks that you would be preparing that to be said. We love you. We love you for your, for your love for us, for your forgiveness of us. We are eternally grateful. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Please stand with us.